Welcome back, everyone, to the Reflex Blue Show. I am your host, Donovan Beery, still recording from the How Design Live con- uh, Conference in Chicago. Thank you, Hal, for having me out. Also, you can follow some of the recaps if you want to see it in photo and word form. I've got a few posts out at ninapaperblog.com, so, so be sure to check those out. And today we have Dana Arnett from VSA. Dana, how are you doing? I'm good. I have to tell you, I love your name, Donovan. Were your parents hippies? No, no, no. I can tell you the story if you want to hear it. Yeah, I want to hear it. My first job in design profession, like like other than like doing a poster for somebody or whatever, Uh got hired at the campus print shop. Okay. And so I'm I'm like... Back when they were having woodblock typesetting, right? No, no, no. Okay, the, not the, the that, semester, that's not that far back. The semester I went to college was the semester they took out the airbrush lab and put in the computer lab. Oh, now, the now, end of print. To be fair, they had a computer there before. They just didn't have a lab. Mm-hmm. And also, because it was a four-year university, I didn't actually get on the computer for like two years. So, it, you know. Okay. But, but I came in at the same time. So I came in digital. So don't hold that against me. No, 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 no. I, 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 uh, you're, so you're a digital native. Yeah, but so I, I so I'm at the campus print shop, mm-hmm. and they're like this, this. There's this uh, poetry teacher, Donovan Welch, that was just retired. Ah. And I was like, sure, sure. So they're like, there's an article in the in the Carney Hub about him, uh-huh. about his poetry, uh-huh. and so they said we want to give him the uh, newspaper plate, which we're actually right reading because, okay, sure. because they go on the roller. So, they're right. like, so we want to we we print one out, we want right. to get the newspaper plate, we're going to frame yeah. it, and that's his retirement gift. Okay. Like, great. And then they realized <laughs> that they don't keep these things, or they didn't then. And I don't, and I don't know how they were done then. The newspaper yeah. may not have been as yeah. digital as it, as it probably should have been. So my job was to recreate this. By scanning in CMYK transparencies oh, of the photos, okay. retyping everything, you know, setting it up in uh-huh. core with you know Garamond <laughs> type and whatnot, having to recreate this. Oh, also like scanning in parts of the newspaper for the headline. It was just a mess. It was okay. a mess project. Because I'm like, <laughs> those were the good old days. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, I'm like, this is way more work than these make. The worst part was is, is it comes in like when I'm not working. Mm-hmm. They said they call the people. Oh, it's here. Come pick it up. And digital cameras, cell phones weren't around, so I never saw it. I never saw a photo of it. Mm-hmm. I was told it looked good. That's all I can tell. Okay. That's all I can tell. So I go home, and my mom's like, "How's the new job?" I was like, "Well, I uh, explained this. I explained to her what I was working on." Mm-hmm. And she looks at me and she goes, "That's who you're named after." Oh my goodness! And I'm like, "Thanks I, for telling me." Yeah, I have <laughs> never, I have never heard this story. Uh huh. So she said, well, because her and my dad went to the University of Nebraska Kearney as well. And she said, they, they never actually had the guy as a teacher either. Well, I, I thought she was going to say, actually, he's your real father. No, that's, that's a whole different story. <laughs> okay. But they never had the professor either. They just saw his name tag. And so when they found out they were having a boy, they said, my mom was like, okay, so, so my grandpa is Donald Newton Beery Sr., Mm-hmm. My dad was Donald Newton Beery Jr. And my mom says, I do not want a Donald Newton Beery III. And so they use this guy's name tag name as a reference. But I, but I designed his retirement gift. Oh, my God. So they changed the suffix. So it went to Donovan and not Donald. And, yeah, no, and the rest is history. Third. So yeah. you had graphic design in your blood. I guess. What was your first project in school? First job? First project in school? The first job, like like the first design job. Like mine was a design job, was part time, like it was well, during the summer. But that's a good question. I, I would say the first 
design interaction I had was creating the cover for the seventh grade play. Oh. And it all I remember now, I don't remember the play, but I do remember drawing an Eiffel Tower and some really embellished Parisian types. So, and that led to all kinds of uh, lucrative grade school and high school design jobs from <laughs> designing the logo for the basketball team to anything and everything that was needed to be done for free. And there was probably some generative connection there somewhere. And somewhere in there did you say, hey, everyone loves this work for free. Obviously I can make a career of zero dollars. <laughs> I should go into this design slash advertising slash thing. Yeah, I, I, I think my story is probably similar to many designers and I, 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 you know, at some point you like to draw, then you're encouraged to do that if your uh, parents think that's an interesting pursuit. And then um, for me the light bulb went on when I saw a book of advertising, I think it was called The Best in 1970s Advertising, and it was in the high school library. and. I was like, wow, okay, there's actually people doing this and getting paid for it, and you can do this professionally. And I went and talked to my high school counselor and my art teacher, and they said, yeah, of course you can do that. So I think, you know, contextually speaking, young people are introduced to design, probably not in the most strategic sense, but they find their way through writing, through art, through something they might have seen, it might be a television commercial, but for, for me it was back in the age of print, was seeing this work in this compendium and then um, I had a few people that indulged me a little bit more and that gave me the, I guess that's what lit the candle for me to kind of look at design curriculums. And I've noticed in the last like 15 years, like when I, you know, when when I, when I got into this profession, it's like people kind of knew what graphic design was, or they uh -huh. act like they knew. But over the last 15 years, it's kind of gone to where they just talk about it on the news. New logo comes out, and it's like, mm -hmm. it's like on CNN. Like, I think it's mm -hmm. very much, it's not, you don't have to go randomly finding a book as a young kid yeah. to understand that there's a profession <laughs> there. Well, there, there's a certain ubiquity to design, and I, but I do think great design rises to the top. I've always felt that it's an aspirational view but I don't think it's by accident because you can look over time at uh, corporations public institutions that have sought the help the advice the um, opportune uh, methods and means to deploy design as a very very important function of of management, of differentiation, of creating a, creating a brand. Um, and I think that is true now more than ever in an information-rich world. The power of design has to be even more, uh, there's more high fidelity in tuning to it because there are so many competing forces out there. And, uh, but, you know, I would, I would say just thinking in my own uh, world, VSA right now has looked at design across multiple channels and mediums. When we started, we were looking at more two-dimensional manifestations of design, which is yeah, corporate and, and identity. And VSA's been around for, is it 30 years now? Uh, a little over 30 years. 
and, uh, and, it's, it's and just, going. It's, it's just VSA.com or is it something else? Well, it's VSAPartners.com. VSAPartners.com. Yeah, that's where you can find us. Okay. Um, and the whole notion um, from the very beginning was to create a multidisciplinary organization model. We weren't kind of setting out to create a boutique. We, we had three partners to begin. And is that the three letters? Well, there's a little mystique around that, but actually it's we, we don't look at VSA and try to associate uh, those three letters, but if arguably it was Vogel Stoic Associates, then I came on and we, I guess through lore and magic, we say, okay, that could be our net, but it was really Associates. But the, the idea was really the, the word partners, and that was we're going to partner with clients, we're going to um, bring in designers and grow them into partners, and we were going to create a scalable multidisciplinary model. And I guess the most important element is we wanted to get better by getting bigger. We, and, and that's not easy to do because a lot of times when you grow a firm, um, the, the, the people who started are super talented and then they have to well, hire people that are a little Or there yeah. isn't, or the the founders or the people that are um, carrying on the legacy aren't uh, emphasizing or prioritizing creative excellence, in our case, design excellence. So that's the torch you got to keep burning. And it's the one that, in our case, is a red thread through all we do, whether it's a user experience, a package, a logo, a communications program, a fully blown broadcast or shopper experience. and. We really look at the world as flat, and if you don't, I think you're going to get quickly categorized, or you're going to be the guy that does the logo for the bakery down the street, or, you know, so our, our model was really meant to scale with the changes in the business world, with creating a bigger wrapper around traditional design values. Ultimately, if you walk through the doors of VSA today, there's not a uh, noticeable difference in terms of the burning energy, which is, or the essence, which is design, but you're seeing design creators that are um, diverse and interesting from data scientists to art directors to content strategists to uh, UX designers to writers uh, and and that's what is I believe the exciting modern marketing model if you will that's going to continue to support what will be a very very changing what is and will continue to be a changing world and a complex dynamic out there for brands in terms of how they they go to work now when you started the multidisciplinary idea over 30 years ago was that like I was not quite in the design profession at that point. Sure, but was that was that revolutionary? Was that or was that something that like everyone was doing? I don't know if that was well, different than what it, the mindset was. Because so, now I hear you hear that quite a bit. Yeah. So people, the which mind, I didn't know if people emulated you or, and I know you may not have been the first, but I just wondered if that. was No, kind of by a no concept. means were we the first, but and I will be quick to, to to acknowledge that it had everything to do with Bob Vogel, my then partner, and primary founder of the business, but I think the mindset was to build it into a multidisciplinary model based on what he believed was the bigger promise of design. So if you think back to what the 
Ray and Charles Eames were doing, or the way, in his case, Raymond Lowy's office or Lathan Tyler Jensen uh, was doing work back then, or if you look at examples like the Container Corporation, which is an iconic Chicago um, design-centered company, there was a notion that design had a bigger purpose, had a bigger definition, and and then then becomes the case and challenge, how do you create an organization that, or pour a platform in our case, or a foundation, to continue to add to that um, talent base and that uh, diverse set of, of skills. So we, I'll be the first to tell you, the first 10 years we were doing uh, what traditional graphic design firms did. We were doing logos, annual reports, posters, um, campaigns that at the time didn't really have the advertising element. But uh, we were quick to keep building and pushing um, into uh, areas that expanded the very definition of design. Good. And how big is VSA right now? We're about 270 people. We have offices in Chicago and New York. We have a... Um, We've built the company because you have to when you're a certain scale with the right functionality, the right leadership model, the right cultural model, the right growth model. You can't sort of chaotically run a business that large. So um, while there's more organizational structure there and you have to have that to take on big multinational um, campaigns and, and projects at the scale to which we execute, you know, the day-to-day -day challenge is keeping it intimate, growing the talent, and, and really figuring out how to keep all these people happy and, and uh, collaborative, which we've managed to do. And, you know, I'll be the first to tell you that there's always going to be any challenge in any human capital business, but you've got to have people that believe in what they're doing. You have to, in our case, you have to have something you stand for, which is creative excellence. And then you have to, you know, treat people with respect and, and allow them to really grow. And yeah, there's kind of, I mean, kind of the secret. The, yeah, the, the, we talk a lot about culture and, and setting mm -hmm. that correct because it doesn't it doesn't just happen by accident. It doesn't, and you know, I'll, and many of the folks in my office have heard me repeat this line to nauseam. But Bob Vogel, again, going back to our founder, said something. That's, rather simplistic but quite powerful way back then he said you know there's this adage that I live by and he said it's people will support what they help create and that was really I, I really like that well and and that's and, and, and as do I I, uh, I feel like that simple notion while it might be uh, pure in its intent and and rather um, humanistic in its in, in, its, uh, in its meaning, it, it's really a reveal and continues to be a, uh, a sort of a catalytic mindset, uh, at least for us, because we're, you know, we like growth. It's not yeah. growth for growth's sake, but growth allows you to um, explore new opportunities, bring in new cool people, pay them more, you know, scale your presence. But, you know, there are also firms that I adore that are small. There's five-person shops in the city of Chicago that are doing some of the best work I've ever seen. And there's models like Pentagram, which have um, superstar partners who 
have set the course for global design and I love and adore their work. So I think what you have to discover and find and seek out is what works best for you, what do you believe in, and how are you going to... Um, how are you going to go to work um, every day? Now, I, I, I will tell you, I didn't think this would be, I'd be three decades in, but um, as such, I'm, I'm happy and excited to get out of bed every morning. All right, well, we're going to be right back with Dana Arnett. So, so today you, you spoke nothing but like the work you did for Chicago companies. You know, you, you showed, and, and by the way, I've been I've been supporting the Goose Island this week. <laughs> Good, drink more Goose Island. You know, at least in town, you order the local if you can. Yeah, so, and they are uh, continuing to make great beer. They're fantastic clients. Plus, anything that's in a yellow can just looks cooler. <laughs> right. Like that does have to work for you, where you just like make it yellow done. Well, yeah, and I, I uh, challenge you and inspire you to drink all their uh, different uh, lagers. And, uh, but, no, they're, they're a cool company, a great story for Chicago and for VSA. And I, I think the very first thing I ever saw from VSA back when I was in college or something was that was some of the stuff you guys were doing for Harley Davidson. Right. And so, and you're still, you, you said you're still We still do work for Harley, Yeah. And they're big, so you're not the only ones doing work for it. But you're no, it. no, uh, and we never were the only ones doing work for Harley. But the Harley story and VSA are intertwined and very, very unique to the the growth of both of our companies. Are it's a unique story. So, is it? You also mentioned you ride motorcycles. I do. So is that like the goal to get? Is it, is it more fun <laughs> when you get the big brand that you actually love? Well. You know, everything kind of happened by. But don't mix the motorcycle and the Goose Island. And <laughs> oh no, no, no! Don't don't do that. Um, but uh, but stop and park your bike for the night and have a beer and go to sleep and then wake up and ride. Um, but the story of Harley is a unique one. Um, in 1985, I had read an article in the Chicago Tribune that a number of the senior executives that worked from Harley were buying the company back from AMF and they were about to take the company public and having uh, a love for motorcycles. Um, I'm like, well, gosh darn it, that they're up in Milwaukee. It's an hour and a half drive. I'm going to call the company. I, I ended up calling the, the person who wrote the article for the which later was published in the Wall Street Journal, and he said, oh, I can introduce you. Uh, they made an introduction, went up to Harley with a portfolio of, uh, with barely enough samples to be a portfolio. Well, you, you had to bring it in on your Harley, probably. So and I didn't have a Harley. I couldn't oh. afford one at that time, and, you know, I was a broke kid that you was fresh out of school. But know. it didn't take me long. It, it literally, um, literally about... Two years in, I, I finally got one, and uh, it was just this serendipitous moment where um, the company needed help redesigning the brand. In, in the case of our first project, we were creating a folder with materials that they could go out and solicit institutional capital with. So I remember they gave us the assignment, went back, came up there and uh, laid about 15 folders out in front of them like, Jesus, that's just a folder. Yeah. I mean, you really, you really overdid it, but boy, we're really grateful and it sounds like you want to, you have a powerful um, and, and uh, you, you have a, a 
a, a powerful feeling about our company and brand and that um, well let's let's find ways to work together and and that set in place as I call it this 30 plus year ride where we touched all aspects of the brand now at the time Carmichael Lynch was their advertising agency of record they were working with David Ecker at, Ecker at profit and but we were helping to define many aspects of how the brand communicated from store design to annual reports to customized customizing catalogs for parts and accessories to uh, the museum identity to I mean there were many many um, as I would call it customer touch points that they just needed done and um, and we understood the brand and then we built a team of uh, people who rode and that was part of the not only the requirement but the indoctrination was to get out there and ride get to know our riders create things that's an, that are expressions of that ethos and what laid in the background of Harley was this brand positioning that went went against the grain so Honda and Suzuki and Kawasaki, all the competitors that were flooding the U.S. market with imports that were much cheaper than Harley's. Until yeah, people the forget that 30 years ago, Harley Davidson was not what it is now. No, it was it was on the brink of bankruptcy, yeah. and they were just coming out of that when we were working with them. And uh, but I guess the point was, is they made the decision that they were going to create a lifestyle brand. We weren't; they weren't going to compete on product only they were going to go deeper and say the love of motorcycles fulfill dreams and it's the experiences you have on the road at the rallies when you're talking about Harleys it's a whole it's a whole different and elevated conversation it's not just about the bike and the parts you put on it it's about the lifestyle and they and they've done a good job of that like they're like, they they're Best, they're best in class at it. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's to the point where now they just kind of show an image and, and they don't even have to put anything else on it. Well, so they've, they've even trademarked the sound of their engine. Like I think, yeah, I think it's I, one of the very few trademarked. Yeah, I think they're. I mean, it's still a complex brand that has to function in today's information-rich world, and and it's still a brand that has to cultivate young riders and diverse riders and. So, but it helps to have that power, that powerful history and the iconography and that what I would call those intrinsic brand elements because you have to sort of build that story otherwise and a lot of times brands build that mythology but Harley has it there. It's not just lore, it's actual, it's truth. It was the first American motorcycle. It had a guy named... Harley and a Davidson, and they they care about the sound, they care about the design, and and you can trace that back to to day one, and they have that, and they carefully manage how that uh, that there's a fine fidelity between that history and then how the brand has to function in a contemporary world, but they do it really well, and we've just been fortunate enough to to work on a lot of exciting challenges with them. Was that has that been one of the most rewarding things you've worked on, or, or is it, or is it just one of many? I think absolutely. I mean, I I don't look at, and nor do we as a firm categorize what's rewarding. I mean, um, I honestly am just as excited working on any 
whether it's a $4,000 job or a much bigger job, I, 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 get I get inspired and I think our team does. I think the difference with Harley was there was, there was a lot of terra firma there. You could dig deep and, and we, we have riders who just, you know, instantly um, fell in love and still have the passion to work on it. But yeah, it's, it, you, you, it's inseparable when you work on anything for 30 years and right. you also like to spend your free time indulging with the product. So, but I wouldn't say it's any less rewarding or fun to work on than the work we do for IBM or Goose Island or, you know, you name it. Right. And the Olympic Committee stuff would be better if they actually got the Olympics. It sure power, would have. Right? Um, is, is that the thing that was that would have that would have sealed that one? You know, um, you go into any any. But, yeah. and that, and you guys, yeah. you guys did do the logos for the for the for the pitch for. Yeah. For so you know the process to bring an Olympic Games to your city. There's the candidate or the applicant process. There's the candidate process, and then if you make it to the decision you become the host city but um so there it's sort of a three-part candidacy and we were there in copenhagen when they made the announcement uh rio got it and i guess deservingly so but um all the sort of work that goes into an olympic bid which is a partnership of community business government all those things you there's a lot of rigor that goes into qualifying yourself for the IOC to become worthy, um, not just conceptually, but everything from, you know, the financial model, the way you're going to host and sustain a game even after the game leaves. So we were part of that process um, and, you know, short of having the work go live, there wasn't a, a moment where and it, the work still feels fresh and relevant. It's just we didn't get the games. But there wasn't a moment where we didn't feel like that work wasn't ready for prime time. No, and it looked great. I was just, I was just wondering, like, yeah, like, like it, you know, ten, twenty years later, you're like, yeah, you know, I, I mean, be like, sure, oh, man, that'd be great. But, but it's still great work. And no, it, thank and you. The weird thing is, is because it's such a big deal, even the host cities, that work's still out there. Like, you know, like you know, years ago, you only saw who. The winning, the winning things, but yeah. but the other, but your work still made it out there, and it was all all over the place. Yeah, and I think part of that is because um, there was a lot of news media, and the internet lives forever. But yeah, I I think uh, you know what the one thing I like about that work, while it was done well over ten years ago, it it I I actually put it put it in today's presentation because was a Chicago centric talk I was looking at it while I was compiling the my keynote and I was like wow I mean I, I put this out there right now I feel so good about yeah. it and and that's really a reflection of the team at VSA I'm one part of this wonderful collective of designers that you know inspire me every day but a lot of hands touch that in our office and it was oh you can you can tell that there's work that went into that so. <laughs> well and, and my point is is that I never want to take credit um, sole credit by any means uh, for the work you see out there I think the key is that you know we hire great people and their their work their their talent touches all we do okay well Dana we really want to thank you for your time and you are the incoming AIGA president-elect 
Yeah, and so, I am. So you're, you're, so we will, you know, we're going to the AIJ National Conference. Great. So, so we'll do some daily recaps from there. So we look forward to, well, to seeing you on stage, or, or actually, the president. <laughs> I think they don't even put on stage. It's kind of like, like. No, there's order, plenty. There. there are plenty uh, more important people to celebrate and uh, and accomplishments and policies. How they lure you back? Because you're on the national board. Yeah. You know, it's funny. People, people you have think, been asking you me. You think that. you're leaving AIG and you never do. <laughs> well, uh, you know, people were asking me that, and I was, uh, I was having actually a conversation with Michael Barut, who was a president and who, to me, is one of the classiest and best designers on the planet. And I said to Michael, you know, how did you make the decision? Well, he said at the time, you know, we we were just. Just I just felt ready or something like that, and I said, "Well, you know, you almost have to have a calling, right, <laughs> to do something this yeah. significant." And, and that's kind of what it's a it lot is. of work, and it's a volunteer thing. Like it is, but I I think most of all, I want to see the future of design. Um, I want to de help design the future of design, and and I was lucky enough to enter the profession when. AIJ was just getting its national chapter system built up and it had a profound effect on me and I hope that I can continue that 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 role and you know help mobilize the organization in diverse and meaningful ways as we move ahead so that's that's the trick okay well we'll see, see you in a few works. minutes thank you so much for your time Dave my pleasure thank you Donovan the Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Beery is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dustlab. Find out more at myspace.com slash dustlab.